0: Welcome to the Digital Marketing Podcast, brought to you by TargetInternet.com. Hello, and welcome back to the Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Kieran Rogers. And I'm Daniel Rolls. And today, Daniel, you've been busy. You've been at the Beamer Conference.
1: We did. We took all of our students from the Digital Leadership Programme, and I've just been told by Kieran that none of you have any idea what the Digital Leadership Programme is because I haven't been speaking about think, this. Yeah, I don't think we've mentioned it. I might, I might have mentioned it in passing. Basically, uh, as many of you may have known, I have moved to Jersey in the Channel Islands. If you've got no idea where that is because you're not from the UK or even if you are from the UK, the Channel Islands are little island off the coast of France, part of the British Isles. Um, we have a very strong digital agenda over here which is one of the main reasons I moved here and we've opened an academy like a a mini university and we are running a two-year program called the digital leadership program now I'm going to do a separate episode about digital education and have a bit of a rant because we've opened up this in response to there being a massive skills gap and so on so one of the first things we did on day three of getting the students in the door we took them to the Beamer Conference in London, so we uh, went over to the Beamer Conference. And if you don't know Beamer, Beamer is the British Interactive Media Association. So most of the people there will be from agencies, and it was really trying to look at technology of the future and, and where the whole industry is going. And there's a there's a whole load of fantastic speakers. Um, so we'll start off by letting Beamer introduce themselves.
2: Hi, I'm Nat Grass. I'm the co-president of BIMA. BIMA is the national body for digital professionals in Britain. So the, the big purpose of BIMA is to really develop community, bring communities together across people that work at brands, startups, uh, agencies, and um, really uh, to develop our industry. So we believe that BIMA has a real purpose to push the industry forward in terms of innovation, a real purpose in terms of celebrating the brilliant talent that we have uh, in our industry and also, as I said, about bringing together communities to do great things together. We have about 20 different councils ranging, ranging from think tanks. So, um, blockchain, AI and immersive tech, uh, creative communities with our creative awards. We have a diversity and inclusivity council. We have representative groups up and down Britain um, that meet and and, um, and work together and become communities in digital. And that's really how we build out our membership. It's about having value, coming to events, being exposed to new things and actually coming to the table with new things to share with the community. That's who we are.
1: So now you know who Beamer are. Um, There are a whole number of speakers. And the the keynote speaker for the day was Cindy Rose, who is Microsoft UK CEO uh, and is uh, an amazing woman and actually a fantastic public speaker as well. And I was really interested in this because I've been watching with over the last maybe 10, 15 years, how Microsoft was doing fantastically well then went into the doldrums a little bit and has really come back with a vengeance now and is actually beating companies like Google in the whole cloud space in some cases. Some people would argue the other way, but they're doing some really great stuff. And it was interesting that Beamer introduced Microsoft, said, and Microsoft are cool again. <laughs> and Cindy, Cindy responded as you're here saying, actually, no, we're not cool, but we make other people cool. So they're they're really enabling things. And the thing that they talked about, which was really relevant at the time for me because of having the whole students there and so on, is that she talked about collaboration. So different organisations working together was hugely important. Um, diversity, and not in just in terms of race and gender, but in terms of ways of thinking and so on as well. And then in terms of education being really key to the digital sector. So uh, let's go and hear what Cindy had to say, um, and then we'll, we'll come back and introduce you to some of the other speakers
0: and i just want to add to that daniel like i wasn't at the conference but listening to this interview it really did blow me away like it it, it helped me to reframe my views around microsoft um and actually do you know what even since said even since listening to this i've begin, become a much more attuned to to what they're up to you know i i think like a lot of people i kind of uh, you know, I'm a, I am a Mac fanboy, self-professed. So, you know, I, I don't take enough notice of them. But they are, you're quite right. They are doing some very, very exciting um, things and
1: facilitating some very, very cool stuff. Well, this will blow your mind. So I've been uh, an absolute Apple fanboy for a number of years. I have just stopped using Apple Calendar and Apple Mail and moved to Outlook. And the whole of our academy, so how we interact with students, how we interact the staff, feedback during the lessons is all done on Microsoft Teams. And we're running that across PC and Mac, and it's seamless. It's working really, really nicely for us as well. We're on Office 365. We're doing live collaboration through that kind of stuff. And Google are doing lots of similar tools as well. But it's interesting how the two main competitors in that kind of software field are Google and Microsoft now. So, yeah, it started off the browser wars, and this this is where it kind of came from in the fact that Microsoft had stuck Internet Explorer on your computer, and you didn't really have a choice initially. And they got really slapped down for that, and had a load of fines. And I think it made them very nervous of innovation for a long time. And they've really come out of that. Um, and yeah, the very the very famous quote that's mentioned in this is that you know success is not an indicator of, of future success. In that, you know, previous success doesn't mean you're going to be successful in the future. And I think they had to change their approach. And I think it's it's great how they've embraced that. And I'm really interested to see what they're doing. And this whole thing of collaboration, it was always the Microsoft approach to lock things down. You know, they owned Word and you know, it was their software and they built it. And we talked about bloatware and things like that. They've really heavily moved into the open source approach of doing software, which would be unheard of. So it's a cultural change. Um, so I think it's, it, it, yeah, and it, it's worth listening to what Cindy's got to say.
3: So... You know, at Microsoft we probably understand better than most uh, what it's like to manage through change and disruption. And this was Microsoft not too long ago. Um, I'm sure some of you will remember after decades of, you know, pretty epic success uh, off the back of software franchises like Office and Windows, uh, we got pretty complacent as a company. And we really started to view the world Uh, through the success of our past Um, and that you know proved pretty fatal as a strategy Uh, so much so that we kind of failed to notice that the world was changing around us and all of these bigger faster shinier icebergs were springing up in the waters around us and sailing right past us so I think uh, Bill Gates famously summarized this when he said success is a lousy teacher it seduces smart people into thinking they can't lose. And those turned out to be pretty prophetic words for us. You know, we really, in those days, stood on the sidelines and watched new born-in-the-cloud competitors like Amazon, Google, and others um, spawn out of these new, this new breed of web services. And we didn't really have an answer as a company. We were very uh, overconfident and just too blindsided by the success of our past uh, to realize that this new cloud-first world order was emerging and we just weren't part of this game. And I remember very vividly in 2012, maybe you do too, um, this article that came out in Vanity Fair, uh, it was written by Kurt and it was called Microsoft's Lost Decade. It was one of the most painful reads I remember. Um, I'm sure you can still uh, find it. You can Bing it and find it. Um, <laughs> but it, this article is largely predicated on our inability to embrace the future you know, while clinging on to all these shrinking markets and melting icebergs. But in every challenge is an opportunity, and our opportunity really came in February 2014, which is a watershed moment for Microsoft <laughs> in our history. We introduced Satya Nadella as our third CEO in history, after Bill, after Steve. And on that day, Satya's message to all of us was super clear. Our industry doesn't respect tradition. It only respects innovation. And, you know, it was so clear to Satya uh, coming in, and still today, that the world is changing so fast, and we had to change with it. And really, to Satya's enormous credit, he realized immediately that of all of our failures, probably our biggest failure was to create a culture that, a culture that inspired our employees to bring their best every day, to give them space to be creative, to try new things, to take risks, to, to learn from failure. So he wrote his book, Hit Refresh. Um, he focuses in that book on the critical importance of culture and capability Um, to really tackle the challenges and unlock the opportunities of the next decade. And that's what he did. He and his leadership team around the world, that's what he did, and we are doing for the next five years thereafter. And if you fast forward to today, you know, we have fundamentally as a company refreshed our mission, our product set, our culture, our business strategy, and hopefully you're seeing a very different Microsoft these days. So we may not have been born in the cloud, but we've transformed ourselves into a cloud-first company. And you know it's hard. And we use the experience of that as hard as it is. And by the way, we're not done. We're very much a work in progress. But we use that experience every day to help our consumers do exactly the same, because they're all going through exactly the same. Just one example I'll pull out of these many uh, testimonials here to illustrate our own transformation is our position on open source. So the old Microsoft was an absolute fortress. We were a paragon of proprietary commercial software, right? We did not like open source. I'm sure some of you remember. But today, Microsoft is the largest contributor in the world to the open source community. We've built a really sustainable, Uh, open source culture. Every developer in Microsoft takes a very consistent approach to integrating, releasing, and contributing to the open source community. And I think the ultimate symbol of the shift in our mindset was our acquisition last year of GitHub. And the ultimate, ultimate symbol was the fact that the open source community stuck with GitHub post-acquisition, because they were pretty nervous about it, and they're still there, and they're still coming. So I share this story with you all because... We see versions of this playing out every single day in every industry sector, in every client's organization. And whether you call this digital transformation, cultural transformation, fourth industrial revolution, whatever name you give it, there's this secular shift in the technology landscape going on. And it's causing significant disruption for some and presenting significant growth opportunities for others. So let me just talk about how we see the shift playing out in the advertising and marketing sector. So it's hard to get uh, precise data in this industry. Cheers. And, um, but with our friends at Group M and Gartner, we think we've got a pretty accurate view on the direction of travel in this sector. You've got traditional marketing, um, which is you know, media buying, uh, advertising, <laughs> other traditional marketing services could be campaign activation, sponsorship events, you know what those are. And you can see the growth, although those traditional marketing segments still make up the lion's share of the market, they are growing single digits year on year, which is fine. But when you start to look at the emerging categories in this market, um, you see that MarTech uh, is really the fastest growing space in the advertising and marketing sector. And we think of this category of spend as kind of software-enabled marketing that leverages AI and machine learning to create all of these kind of new types of interactive experiences and produce deeper data-driven insights about consumers. So it's fine to have a, a business that focuses on traditional, but if you want to participate in the growing opportunity, you really have to do both. And I don't think this is simply a case of marketing dollars shifting from traditional to new. I think there's some of that going on, but I actually think the emergence of MarTech is growing the size of the opportunity. It's increasing your TAM, your total addressable market. So if you're not fully operating in this new space, if you're relying too heavily on traditional marketing revenue streams, then you know, you're limiting your future growth potential. That's my, my core message here, and eventually, you know, you'll find yourself standing on a shrinking iceberg. This notion that um, Satya talks about of every company now being a software company really aligns to our worldview, to what we see every day, to the client-side digital transformation trends that we're seeing. And I think what tech intensity means for businesses like yours and why I think your total addressable market increases as a result of this Is because it presents you with an opportunity to deliver greater value to your clients, not just by responding to marketing briefs that you receive, but by inserting yourselves into the flow of their digital transformation, by helping them become, by helping them embrace tech intensity, by helping them um, adopt new technology faster, by helping them build their digital capabilities and skills. You know, if this is the direction to travel, what do I need to do? And I think there are three things that I'd love for you to take away and reflect on. One is skill up, skill skill up yourself, skill up your workforce. Two is make diversity and inclusion real in your organization. And three is embrace partnership, and I'll say a couple words about each. Um, in terms of skilling, I think um, you're all instinctively aware that um, data and AI is I- increasing in importance in your world and digital agencies really have little choice um, but to prioritize an investment in skills. Um, according to Gartner, I won't read the words on the page, but content creators will produce a third of their digital content using AI in the next couple of years. I think that's conservative. Um, but you know, let's take a, a small example. If you, if you just think about um, creating effective personalization at scale, just as an example. This challenge can already be addressed through multiple AI and cognitive services, uh, APIs that, and tools that are already available, that deliver, you know, we're, we're, we're exposing APIs in uh, neural text to speech, in multiple languages, synthetic audio and video, image indexing at scale. Um, all of these tools can help to produce thousands of variants, to test in real time, evaluate uh, results against specific target groups, and really optimize your campaign in days, even hours. Just one example. And I think you'll all agree that the new breed of kind of AI-enabled marketeer will be able to use this kind of tooling to automate much of what you do day to day so that you can spend more of your time and brain power kind of focusing on vision, strategy, creativity, and insights. So that's why is important. And these kinds of skills, as I'm sure you know, are in high demand and low supply. And that's kind of a problem, uh, because it's estimated that over 500,000 skilled digital workers will be needed to fill tech roles in the UK by 2022. And that number is three times the number of computer science graduates that the UK produces uh, has produced over the last 10 years. So it's kind of a problem. So first action, skill up. Second action is make DNI real. And these two are linked, by the way, because in addition to skilling up existing workforce, we need to seek out new sources of talent. So one of the most effective ways to bring new talent into the sector uh, is simply to include everyone. And while I hope everyone in the room aspires to have businesses and organizations that reflect the diversity of the market that we operate in, I think d is now really a business imperative. And for Microsoft, I can tell you our focus on DNI is goes to the very heart of our mission. And this is our mission to empower every person, and every organization on the planet to achieve more. And we say every person because we mean every person. We put a DNI lens on everything we do, every decision we make, every business process, every product, every micro behavior we consider through the lens of DNI. it's so important to us. And let me just give you one example that we're particularly proud of, which is our focus on accessibility. There are over one billion people in the world who have physical disabilities. That's one in seven uh, who live with a disability, making disabled people the largest minority in the world. And we're very focused on addressing this challenge, both culturally and in terms of new product development. And we are super excited because AI is a real game changer in terms of adaptive tech. And we're seeing some incredible breakthrough uh, developments and innovations here that uh, really change the game and improve quality of life for people with disabilities. I'm going to share two examples with you quickly. The first is Seeing AI, which is an application you can download from the App Store for free. Um, Basically, this app uses computer vision and AI to help blind and partially sighted people basically navigate the world around them. Uh, It recognizes objects, people, text, and it kind of real-time narrates to the user. Uh, It narrates the world around them. So if you see in the photo there, that's um, Satya, obviously, but he's standing there with um, a, a young man named Saqib Sheikh, who is one of our U.K. employees who's actually developed the Seeing AI app. Saqib is visually impaired and he uses this app to come into a meeting room and the app, he'll he'll have an earpiece in his ear and it will tell him who's in the room, who's sitting around the table, and what expression they have on their faces. Um, And it's really remarkable to see it um, come to life like that. So those are the three takeaways, skill up, Make DNI real. And the third is embrace partnership. This is a fantastic space to embrace partnership. Um, Earlier stories that I shared were all stories of Microsoft partnering with digital agencies to do amazing things for clients together. We've got a very mature program, um, which is briefly described here. There's a website where you can learn more. We can help by unlocking co-sell opportunities. We can um, arm you with all sorts of skills and educational resources so that you can maximize our platform. We've got go-to-market resources, marketing collateral for account-based campaign work, um, et cetera, et cetera. So do reach out. We'd love to hear from you. And so please feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear the great things we're doing together or we could be doing together. And again, um, thank you ever so much for having me here today. Thank you.
1: Okay, so lots of other speakers uh, at the event. I I was really interested. Some of them really cutting-edge stuff at the beginning was talking about virtual reality and augmented reality. And I always take a bit of a sigh when I hear this because it's oh, it's just, you know, it's being done for the sake of doing it. It's a bit gimmicky. But um, Sky VR there, and if you're not familiar with Sky VR, it's Sky TV. And they're doing things like allowing you to watch the Formula One from within the pit. So you can see what happens when a car comes into the pit and you can look around. And they're doing some amazing immersive experiences. They've done some really fun stuff. uh, That you could in augmented reality, you could have Anthony Joshua, the boxer, um, dancing around in front of you. And you know, there's some stuff that's gimmicky, but there's some stuff that's really cleverly done. And what the interview really talks about is how you can use this stuff in practice and some of the really low cost, really creative stuff that can be done. So I think it's it's worth listening into to kind of understand. Yeah, some of this stuff's a bit gimmicky and it is at its early stages, but we need to start experimenting with it now because actually this technology is advancing really quickly. There are new developer toolkits for both uh, the Apple platforms and the Android platforms that allow developers to develop this stuff. So go go take a look, have a listen to this with an open mind, uh, and I think there's loads of really interesting things that are being done
4: yeah my name is richard knuckles i'm the creative director of sky vr and also the founder of surround vision who are a specialist environmental uh, production company um, using vr and ar for good
1: and what were you talking about today and what were you introducing people
4: to well today it was about um introducing the fact that immersive technologies are completely in their infancy and that. Even though it's really easy to judge and point and look at the hardware and look at the current content and kind of go, well, oh, it's not amazing or it's not good. Um, it, what is, I think is, is key with this particular point in time is to understand that, that the technology is going to improve so dramatically and the tools that are available as content makers are so incredible that we should, Start to anticipate where this is going, and and creatively start to work out how we can form new templates, new story um, uh, styles, and genres. And um, obviously, from my perspective, working at Sky, we're very interested in in um, offering our customers the, the you know state of the art, absolutely amazing in- innovation. But from my heart and um, passion um, behind surround vision. I want to use it for VR for good, AR for good. I want to I want to showcase solution, uh, environmental solutions to the world, and I want people to to start to play and. Um, uh, enjoy this kind of content but you know so you're le- you're learning and enjoying the
1: content and the other thing you mentioned as well was the thing about how accessible some of these technologies now it doesn't need to be complicated doesn't need to be expensive and there were some you know extreme ends of things but actually the 360 cameras the vr stuff is pretty accessible
4: yeah when done when immersive content is done well it's absolutely stunning and and there's only a, there's a, a very few tricks to the trade Proximity is key. So getting the camera as close to, um, uh, subject matter as possible. And then obviously, um, the, the responsible, making sure that the camera doesn't, you know, move around so you don't make people feel uncomfortable. Um, you know, as far as the, the rest of it, it's about the scale of the experience. If I can take someone to the, the front row of an Anthony Joshua fight with Sky, you know, you're sitting in front of Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's behind you, you know. People absolutely lose their minds. It's the same with m- most of the sport that I do. With Sky is just it's about taking and it's about raising the bar as far as kind of experiences go. Um, so the, the you would be amazed at how efficient we can do that. We don't need to use big fancy cameras to go and do that. And actually, the prosumer and um, consumer uh, three hundred and sixty cameras are becoming re- they're really good. You know, it's, uh, so. You know, anyone can really get involved in that. And then I was also sort of um, highlighting some of the holographic work that we're also mm. doing. Again, you know, I mean, I kind of felt like I was plugging Ma- Microsoft a bit, but they are doing amazing stuff with holographic capture. They've got um, depth kit cameras coming out, which allow uh, you know uh, w- remarkable quality. Um, and of course, that that's just going to get better and, better and better. So as content creators it, we're, we are standing at, at this amazing opportunity to kind of start to redefine the way that stories are told which is i i think is fascinating
1: now we now move on to the final little bit that we've got uh from one of the interviews and this is a very timely and very important one and one of the main panels was about the environment and uh, about uh, global warming or climate change and extinction rebellion were there so i got a quick one-on-one with someone from Extinction Rebellion. And I was really interested because we had all of our students with us, uh, ranging from the age of 18 up to about 30. We had the staff there. Um, lots of us are very engaged in in all this kind of stuff. And I wanted to hear the students' opinions um, because, you know, ostensibly, essentially, you know, lots of young people have got very involved in Extinction Rebellion. It's very, very front of mind at the moment. And I wanted to hear what their opinion was of. Extinction Rebellion. Now, I should put this up front for people now, my opinion of this. Um, I think the Extinction Rebellion has done a fantastic job of making climate change front of mind. I think that uh, they have one point I really disagree with, which they said technology is not the solution. They feel it's too late for technology to be the solution and we all need to make massive changes to our lives. Now, I disagree with that. I think there's all sorts of things about carbon sinking and a million other technologies that could actually make a massive difference to this. And I actually believe that technology will be the solution as well as um, human behavioural change. But, you know, we, we wanted to give them a, um, a chance for our students to listen to what they had to say. So, listen to the, the quick interview. This will put in perspective you don't know who Extinction Rebellion are. And then um, I'll come back in a moment and just tell you what the students thought. And I think one of the interesting things is how they have actually used technology for getting
0: their message out. So... Uh, and, uh, and clearly they're doing that. Digital for them is a massive way of of, of reaching out. And we, like out of nowhere, we all now know who they are, right? So yeah, it's definitely working. For right. Society. And I think
1: any form of activism and any form of campaigning, there's a huge opportunity now of bringing people together, mm-hmm. of... Actually, even if there is vested interest in any particular part of the world, any particular industry, it's possible to potentially impact that now as well. So I think it's massively important in a fast changing world to understand this, to get a good perspective on it. Um, and whether you agree or disagree, it doesn't matter too much. I think it's a really great example of getting people talking about things, driving engagement and getting global reach with essentially not huge budgets at all, just really creating a
5: global movement. Hi, I'm William Skeeping. I'm an activist with Extinction Rebellion. Previous to this, I once worked at Google a long time ago, then I worked in the music industry, fell into advertising, got into brand strategy, and have now um, following 20 years of like slight underlying terror about the climate and ecological crisis, uh, got myself into Extinction Rebellion as a kind of panicked reaction. And it's turned out to be the best decision of my life. I've ended up being involved in all kinds of protests, particularly a big challenge to the advertising industries industry and I'm co-editor of the Extinction Rebellion Handbook, This Is Not A Drill, that's out through Penguin now and is getting a global release. The role of uh, the digital industries when you're building a movement is vital. We are really all about grassroots, human face-to-face contact, that's really the nature of how you build a movement or how we've had so much success so far in only 11 months, going from a few hundred people outside of parliament declaring rebellion to hundreds of thousands of supporters in 63 countries. But grassroots, person-to-person conversation in a, the most human possible way is is not, you can't beat that. But to scale, we need digital media in many ways. It's not about trying to create entertainment. It's about trying to get the truth across to people, explaining the nature of the climate crisis and the ecological crisis, which are both related. And it's about Trying to do that in a way that is both emotionally sensitive and powerful and drives people to act. It's no good people watching digital content and then flipping onto the next piece of entertainment. It's about getting people to watch things and then actually get out on the streets. We're not trying to get people to sign petitions or turn up for a one day event. We're asking people to genuinely engage on a kind of emotion, on a deep emotional level with this climate and ecological crisis. Because once you have done and once you recognize the truth of the situation which is we've all been lying to ourselves and that we're all culpable and more responsible just in the west for just getting out of bed you've you know already screwed it and that's okay we just have we you know we are all part of this system and now we all have to move to change this system and that means getting out on the streets and doing things. Generally, in our case, we recommend non-violent civil disobedience, but it does have to happen as a group. If we think about social media and its ability to create community or to create division, we need to use it in the most positive possible way to create community, to bring people together on a common cause to be able to get our messages out to people, to be able to share assets, to be able to create quickly, quick responsive communications. And we need most importantly, people who work in the digital industries to come and join us. We don't need people to come and do us a little favour or help us out with a little piece of content here and there. We want people to do this with a sense of love and rage within Extinction Rebellion as a part of us joining our community in order to forge this new vision for the future together. We need everyone on board. I can't tell you how much fun it's been. It's Possibly like we're winning and we're going to win this. I just hope we win it in time. Okay, so strong
1: stuff indeed and massively important. What's fascinating was the students' reactions to it. Now, these are all students that are interested in technology. So I think as soon as you say technology is not the solution, it maybe switched them off a little bit. And their feeling was twofold. Now, this is their opinion. I'm kind of paraphrasing. But first of all, they said that it was so combative that if you didn't agree with them, it's only going to make it worse. And secondly, as soon as you say technology is not the solution, you're shutting certain doors. Um, so actually, they, they didn't necessarily agree that greatly. They agreed that climate change was a, you know, the, the most pressing thing of our times. So I was very interested to see how positioning, how brand voice, and they have created a brand, um, how that kind of works. And we'll see how this kind of plays out uh, over a period of time as well. But really great that Beamer hadn't just not thought about this. And actually, technology is having a massive impact on the environment. The, the footprint of all these data centers around the world is huge. So I thought it was a, a great thing for Beamer to do. So... Um And in fact, it was really nice that Beamer gave all the students a shout out at the end of the day. Uh, They gave us really cheap tickets to students. They really embraced us. They said they're all digital marketing podcast listeners. And I thought some of the content from the conference would be really useful for our listeners as well. So I hope you found it useful. If you haven't checked out Beamer, do check it out. But one thing to make you aware of, um, by the time this podcast has come out, it would have just been Beamer D-Day. And it's a thing that runs around the UK, but I think this could be embraced around the world. And they set some challenges. So, um, for example, how are we going to clean up plastics in the ocean or how would we get more people to embrace digital careers? And they get young people in schools in sixth forms to work on these projects as a kind of hackathon for the day. And then uh, they judge the results and there's lots of prizes that are sponsored by lots of Connor corporates as well. So we are sponsoring the one uh, over here in the Channel Islands. So that's Target Internet, uh, the company I the is doing that. And we've got very involved and we've got our students who have done a takeover of their social media for the day. So it's a really great, great thing to do. And just getting more and more young people involved and understanding what digital is. And I think that's really important. So for everyone listening, if you have a digital career, you work in digital marketing or comms or whatever it may be, you're a business leader, you run a startup. My understanding from working with lots of schools recently is that people don't really get what digital is and they just think tech and they just think coding. And actually marketing, journalism, communications, creativity, leadership all those things are being missed and i think it's really on us to start educating more people about what digital really is so we've got people coming into the industry and really embracing it and seeing for what it is uh, not there's anything wrong with coding and tech but it's only appealing to a certain number of people so i think it's a uh, beamer are doing a great job of really embracing that community so thank you for listening uh, thank you for beamer for having us uh, and uh, come back and speak to us again soon on the digital marketing podcast thanks very much for listening to the digital marketing podcast if you want to continue your learning in digital marketing get over to targetinternet.com and sign up for the free trial of our digital marketing e-learning platform there's over 140 bite-sized courses for you to try and lots of other learning resources as well so get on there and sign up for the free trial